Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We've just witnessed the game of the season so far as we get into the business end of the 2019 campaign. My name is Cameron Hobbs. Yeah, that Jets-Dolphins game was terrific. We'll talk about it during the programme. My name is Paul Mitchell. While the teams battle it for a place in the postseason, it's the officials who are trying to grab the headlines. Well, they've got to get something right. I'll be having a moan shortly. We'll share some of your nominations for our weekly awards while giving thoughts on our own Week 14 winners. We'll then look ahead to all the Week 15 action as a couple of divisions remain wide open. And as ever, we'll wrap it all up with the latest news from around the league. And Paul, there's no better place to start than at that game of the season. The Dolphins-Jets is not it, you know fine well it isn't. (laughs) We were served up a treat in the 6 o'clock kickoffs as the San Francisco 49ers came to town up against the already, you know, Division 1 New Orleans Saints. Really, the Saints could have taken their foot off the gas. They could have just taken it easy. Nothing to play for other than maybe home field advantage through the playoffs, which is a biggie, let's be honest. But maybe based on the outcome, it's not such a big advantage. Well, I mean, the Saints have lost twice at home this season, which is very unusual for them. Uh, Normally, they're a lot better. Let's cover a few things. One... It was a terrific game. If you were going to go to a game, that's the kind of game that you would want to go to. Unless, like me, you're a connoisseur of field goal kicking and I would rather have been (laughs) at MetLife, uh, which would have been much, much better. Now, what do you take out of this game? Because there's several routes that you can take. I mean, San Francisco entered the weekend with the league's top-ranked defence, but they got torched for more points, yards and first downs than any other game. However... New Orleans also stunk the place out defensively, you know, lost 516 yards. So, you know, the 49ers have got questions about D. The Saints have got questions about D. Does that make for a good game? In this case, yes. It did. And uh, do you know what? I'm going to give you something that I know you like because you're going to take this away. You like nothing more than referencing Scoragami. And this game was the 1,053rd unique final score in NFL history, 48-46. Now, funnily enough, you talk about defences being bad because if you type 1053 into a calculator or you put that on a number plate, that suggests the word lose. 1 is an L, O is an O, 5 is an S, and 3 is an E. Okay. If you add RD, then you would have loser D, which is basically what happened on both sides of the fence because the Ds did not turn up in any shape or form. And it was an absolute ding-dong battle. Really, really entertaining. A lot of questions answered from an offensive point of view. Let's be honest, the Saints haven't quite been at their usual best. Um, the 49ers, loads of questions about whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo and the gang could do it against good defences and good teams. Well, they went into one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL and they managed to rack up a whole bunch of points. Um, I'll be honest, I, I meant to look at this today, but unfortunately being super busy, I couldn't tell you the last time a team came into New Orleans and scored 48 points. No, I mean, there was a high-scoring game a couple of seasons ago uh, with the Giants and Saints that traded uh, touchdowns utterly galore, but I think the Saints came out on top of that one. But this is very unusual, but it was a great game. But let's, let's break down a few bits and pieces. One, Drew Brees was brilliant in the last two minutes, 
to get the Saints ahead. However, the 49ers should have won the game on that drive because Breeze should have been intercepted. Not sure what your cornerback was trying to catch, but it didn't appear to be the ball, despite the fact it was almost thrown straight at him. That would concern me more if I'm a 49ers fan, that you actually had the chance to kill the game without needing to go and get a field goal at the end, and you failed to do so. So I think on that one, Michael Thomas fell down in front of him. I actually yeah. think Michael Thomas did a really good job of just trailing his legs enough to put the corner back off. And I think it was one of those ones where Thomas falling caught him off guard. But yes, I agree. There was an opportunity opportunity there when the game was on the line to make a massive play and it wasn't taken um so yes you know what definitely one thing that they can take away from that um but yeah defensively on all sides not a great performance all round uh you know seeing Richard Sherman have to hobble off at the end as well really didn't do us any favors um it looked as though the Saints had come back and for me you know I messaged you at the end and you thought you know this is in your hands I messaged you saying I'm not sure that we've got enough time to do anything here and even then it got right down to um the final plays and then it took an absolute monster uh kittle play I, I mean the guy when he's in that groove is immense he's absolutely brilliant I think one of the best tight ends in the game he was a massive loss when he wasn't there he was a massive contributor at the end of that game and he more than anyone uh, on that final drive is why we managed to come away with the win yeah I mean I'm, I'm disappointed obviously from the defensive side of it and you know you know that he's going to be involved and get the ball. You've got to make your tackles. Now, if you'd got down to the sort of 40, 35, forcing Gould into a 50-yard field goal, if he nails that and wins that, you know, with under a minute to play, all three timeouts, to be fair to you, you'd managed that well, then, you know, tip of the cap. But, you know, the face mask was insane. It was stupid. You can't do things like that. And let's be honest, it was a chip shot at the end of the day, a Robbie Gould. I think, you know... As I say, if you kicked it from 50-plus, you know, I would have said, yeah, fair enough. I actually think the Saints shot themselves in the foot. I think we've also got to talk a little bit about the, the Foot Locker guys because um, obviously they don't have referees that they send to the New Orleans games. <laughs> I have moaned before and I will moan again about the referees. I do not think referees are biased, but I think they're incompetent. And I also think they're starting to come in with a slight agenda against the Saints because the Saints have been quite outspoken about them. Now, let, let's talk about the two plays. Okay. And I know I know we disagree with them. Yeah. Now, the one where, you know, the safety of the cornerback goes down, he's sliding, you know, Jancic's falling, and the Saints get done for a hit in the head is, is ludicrous. The player is sliding. He's not aiming for it. And I take the Dean Blandino thing. Yes, you've got, it's all about player safety, but this is a high speed game played at intensity. You know, you know, one man's falling, which he's not meaning to do. The other man's sliding, which he's not meaning to do. You know, let's referee this game properly. Now I know you and I spoke about this and I know you thought it was the right call. It's just one of these ones we're going to disagree on. So now I I think yep. the word right there. Let's talk about this one and then we'll move on to the other one because I think this one's, the, the two of them are slightly different in their in their outcomes. This one, I I think it's exceptionally harsh. Exceptionally harsh for all the reasons that you've said. I totally agree with. I think that the, the player has not gone in to do anything nasty. I think that Juszczyk has 
gone down. He's sliding with the ball. Contact has been made. It's, it is, I think it's more forearm to head than anything else. It's looked like a head-to-head. When the player's dived in, leading with his head shoulder, he looks like the player's even tried to move his head out the way. He's done what he can. The thing here is context. And in the context of the situation, I think it's an exceptionally harsh penalty. But the problem with that is if you start adding context into these situations, at what point does the lines of demarcation between what is and what isn't, that then becomes more down to referee um, opinion and input, and then it's more open to something like bias. Therefore, I think in the, in the, in the interests of impartiality, you have to call those ones whether they're super clear-cut or super harsh. There was someone, and I can't remember the game now, um, earlier on in the, in the day, someone else had been done for the exact same thing. Um, and it looked really harsh as well. He'd gone in and hit the player. Um, he'd hit him hard, and the penalty was given. And it was one of those ones where you're looking at the situation going, he's coming in at full pelt to get the ball. What exactly is he supposed to do? You've seen it so many times with the, the calls on the rough and the passer. And there's some of them. Now, there's some of them are straight wrong, but there's some of them that actually, by the letter of the law, seem right. Do you know what? I hate the call. I hate what it is about the game, but it is the rule. And it's, it's kind of like some of the handballs that you're now getting a VR and offside decisions that are fractional, that wouldn't be given if you didn't have that technology. And it's that great because you're like, oh, and it's frustrating. So I know if it had been the other way around, I would be moaning every bit as much. And I think the context is the factor in that one. Yeah, but I, see, I agree. I think if it if it's one of these ones that you would be unhappy against going against your team, I think that actually says it all that these plays should not be called i think it's there is no I, there was an element of fault on both players um you know the 49er falling down into the saint etc it's a fast game played by top class athletes i don't think san francisco would have complained if that wasn't called it would have just seen it as two guys coming together and get on with it but you know they called it you know that's what the referees are there to do i'm sure they called it in good faith. Yeah. Now, the other one, the yeah. fake. Now, there, there was an awful lot going on about this. And one, I tip my hat to uh, San Francisco because they knew the rules and the, of the game, which is fine. Um, now, let's go back to several things. One, I thought was a bad play call. Um, however, I was at no point was I calling for pass interference, but the holding had to be called. And that's what Sean Payton was shouting about was the hold. Dean Blandino, the, the, the Fox guy, came on and basically didn't address the holding issue whatsoever. He simply addressed the fact that it wasn't uh, pass interference because you cannot interfere with a gunner. Uh, you can interfere with a gunner as far as the pass, but you cannot until the ball is away. If you're holding him, that is a hold. It's a five-second penalty. And it's non-reviewable. Why, why is anything... In this game, non-reviewable. You have a red challenge flag for a reason. Use it if you can. Lose your time out if you get it wrong. But why do we still have stuff that is not reviewable if you think it's egregious? 
that that to me makes no sense. So I think yeah, what's happened here, I think as well, is and it's come down to the gunner rule. So you know, by rule, and this is the I told you earlier on, I've been doing some reading. So pass interference on a punt by rule. Any time there are receivers at the end of the line on each side of the formation, there can be no pass interference on the defence. It is designed this way because the defender is already at a disadvantage and does not know if the punter will throw or pass. The defender can still be called for other penalties such as holding or face mask. But the thing is, both of them were arms up in each other in that situation. I don't think... I think that the pass interference, at the point that the ball comes to him, it's very one-sided in that it is the niner that is all over the Saints player, but all the way up the line... That has been the two of them pushing and shoving, pushing and shoving. And I think it is much of a muchness. I think that's the factor in why it was not called anything else. Um, this was not an FAFE play. If it had worked, it would have been a great play. It didn't work. I don't think the five yards would have made much difference other than you would have punted it the next time and we would have got the ball slightly deeper. But other than that, it wouldn't have resulted in a first down. It still would have been punted. So I, I think I thought, uh, it's, a see, I th- it's a nuance. It's a nuance. But see, I think I, it's the rule. I think, you know, and you mentioned it in the last one, um, it had to be called. Now, for my mind, San Francisco started the hold. Therefore, it should have been called. Yes, I agree. Further down, they were both at it. But the first one came from San Francisco. And therefore, just as the penalty that came for San Francisco earlier, which was by the very letter of the rules, should have been called, which you explained so eloquently, this one should have been called as well at the start of it and that's what the saints were complaining about now we can all have different opinions i'll tell you what it makes for great conversation let's move to the third point of this yeah why do we still have things that are unreviewable (laughs) that's insane so i guess the only thing with that is where do you draw the line because you've you've got a red challenge flag you can use it if you lose it you can't challenge anything you you can't tell me and i'm starting to go into rant mode that you know you (laughs) cannot use that red flag any damn time you like and it's not going to add 30 minutes to the game it's going to add a couple of minutes to the game referee comes over speaks to the coach the coach says look that is holding right at the very start. That's what I'm challenging. They go away. They look at it two or three times. Yes or no. And you move on. So here's the question. Would, if that was a challengeable play and it was on a hold, not pass interference, which would have resulted in a penalty at the spot of the foul, which would have been further down the field. If it was a five-yard penalty that I can't remember what it was, but it was something like a fourth and fourth and. 12 or something like that. It wasn't It wasn't close to being a first down. No. Do you think Peyton would have risked his red challenge flag on that for a holding call that would have gotten five yards more and a punt? Would it have been worth the risk of throwing your one and only red challenge flag at that point of the game and potentially risk losing it just to get slightly down further down the field? In the context of the game, I think so. Okay. To be perfectly honest, I do, and that's that's what I would have done. But again, see, again, that that's a that's a that's a different yeah. issue to a certain extent. I still think if you look at the two things separately, one, there should be no such thing as an unreviewable play. That's just complete nonsense. And two, you make a very good point. Would they have actually challenged it? I think they would have done. Okay. Uh, just given the, the, the at the time of the game, I still think it was a bad call. I would I would have just punted the damn ball at the time and tried to pin you back, you know, on the five ten, 
you know, get a, we've got a good punter. Yeah. You know, get yeah. get the ball, drop it in the five yard line, try and get there and stop it, and and march you down. Um, what I find slightly disappointing is again we're having to talk about the referees rather than the actual game. I think the game itself was pretty damn good, and if these two do match up again in the NFC Championship game. Uh, one, we're going to have to try and figure out a way how we can nip out for a pint of milk, nip over <laughs> uh, to the States and watch it. Um, oh, I did I, say it as well. I, I celebrated that game well, uh, last night. We're recording this on Monday. So celebrated on Sunday night, knowing fine well that if we come head to head in the playoffs, we're going to get pasted because that's just the way these things work. It's just the I, way they work. <laughs> I, I don't know if you get pasted. I don't know if we can be in the same room for the rematch. Yeah. That, that that would be the same. But, but you know, you know what a game. It was a great game. And I'm sure, you know, folks listening to this pod really enjoyed watching it as well. And again, why wasn't on national television, you know, right across the country? That's another bugbear. I think it's a really good game that they missed getting out at, uh, you know, a good time. Yeah. Incidentally, I just, while we've been chatting, I had a look back. Last team to score 48 points at the Superdome that isn't the New Orleans Saints. Yep. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, week one, last season. Never heard of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I had a quick look at it. I'd forgotten. I'd completely forgotten. That's of course after we had our first ever live event, um, and Polly had had nothing but abuse being a Tampa Bay fan. And Tampa Bay <laughs> went to New Orleans and came away with a win. Um, forty-eight points to forty. That one was. And I had a quick look at the the quarterback stats. Uh, the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers threw for four touchdowns and zero interceptions, meaning you know it wasn't Jameis Winston. Um, <laughs> So let, let's moan about Jameis Winston because I picked the Colts to win yep. in our in our pick'em. He's just so frustrating. He's yeah. just unbelievably <laughs> frustrating. Now I'm pretty mad that the Colts didn't see it out from the point of view. I think actually the Colts are the better team, and the Colts have just um, you know sold themselves. But congratulations to Bucks quarterback Ryan Griffin, a six-year NFL veteran. Hadn't played in a regular season game until Sunday. He was 2 of 4 for 18 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but he finally got on the field to play. Well done to him. Well done indeed. But do you know what? You're right. Well done to James Winston. 400. No, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. 456 <laughs> yards, four touchdowns, three interceptions, sacked once, passer rating of 107.3. He, You saw both the best and the absolute worst of James Winston, and that is what he's all about. And if, if he could cut out the absolute muppetry that regularly comes out in the games, he could be a brilliant quarterback. And it's just an absolute shambles. Incidentally, randomly, do you know that both Drew Brees and Jimmy Garoppolo threw for exactly the same amount of yards? That, that's quite surprising, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. It doesn't happen uh, very often. But when you watch two good quarterbacks playing football, you know, it, it is pretty good. It's a special sport. Yes, and we'll come on to some of the other quarterback performances in our weekly awards, I'm sure. But we talked about referees, and there's no way we can talk about referees and any controversy without touching on some of the calls in that Patriots chief game from last night. Now, it was on late, so I don't know if you've had the chance to see it. But the one that sticks out more than any other is, I mean, obviously, they drew the, uh, they blew the play dead um, when Kelsey fumbled the ball. 
that shouldn't have been called dead. We've had this one repeatedly. The Saints suffered from it earlier on in the season. Let the play play out, then review it. If you do it the other way around, you don't get the chance to review. Let the play play out, then review it. Same goes with the touchdown for Nikhil Harry, because that was an absolute... You can't argue with it. It was a touchdown. His foot wasn't... There was no point that his toes went out of bounds. Referees thought it has... He's, he's called it out of bounds. Call it as a touchdown on the field and go back and review it. Because you get it wrong, you can't fix it. And actually, the Patriots fans, I think, were booing the referees and booing their own team a little bit. Um, it's their first you know, loss at home since 2017. Week four, 2017. That's a long time they've not lost at home. They're exactly. Now, they're now only one game ahead of Buffalo. And if Buffalo had managed to beat the the Ravens, what a run in that would have been with those two. That could have been really exciting stuff. Um, but as it stands, the Patriots schedule, super easy, other than playing Buffalo. But I think on the overall score in the conference, they would go through as winners nonetheless. Um, but the, the officiating there was appalling. And if the Saint, if you as a Saints fan can feel disgruntled based on Sunday, then the Patriots have every right to be up in arms. Yeah, and again, we've said it before. It's a horribly difficult job, but they do have the benefit of television. So you err on the side of caution. Now, if you take the, the Manchester City-Manchester United game, uh, which took place on Saturday, Manchester United got a penalty. Now, in real time watching it, it's like penalty. The referee doesn't give it, despite being in a great position, because he knows he can go to VAR. Now, I think it made the referee look weak because he missed calling the penalty. But, you know, you do have then the comfort of VAR. So flip it round. Call the touchdown. Then get it reviewed. All scoring plays are reviewed, as you say. Oh, his foot was out or his foot was in. There you go. They're not using the technology the right way, and that's what's disappointing me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what else took your fancy then from the weekend? What were the headlines? What were the headlines? I mean, okay, let, let's ignore field goal bowl because that was something else. I think, although, to be fair, there was a couple of great stats about that. I'm, trying, I'm now trying to actually locate. Uh, yeah, Dolphins 0 for 6 in the red zone. How about that? You know, I mean, that, that takes some doing. That does. 0 for 6 in the red zone. Um, let's talk about the Texans getting absolutely melted at home by a team that I've said on this podcast for the last few weeks are the best 4-8 and eight team going. They're now the best 5-8 and eight team going. The Broncos. you got to give a little nod to Drew Locke, who became the first player to throw for over 300 yards uh, on the road in a victory in his first on-the-road start. You know, I mean, that that was hellishly impressive from Drew Locke. You know, he did really, really well. Yeah. Um, was very impressed by him. Um, knocking off some of the other things. The Vikings doing what the Vikings had to do, beat the Lions. That was fair enough. The Colts-Buccaneers was an absolute slugfest as well. Uh, Tampa, three straight wins in a single season for the first time since 2016. I hate the Chargers now. I used to really like the Chargers, but they go in. I picked the Jags to win this one. You know, the bounce from, you know, removing the coach and getting somebody new in. And the Chargers, you know, coming from the West Coast to the East Coast, everything pointed um, to a Jaguars win, apart from the fact the Chargers came and absolutely stomped 
all over them. Despite the wins, though, uh, for the Chargers, the Bucks as well, the Jets, uh, they were all eliminated from playoff contention. So deservedly were the Jaguars, uh, Panthers and the Redskins as well. I just thought everything was there for the Jags. You know, an under-pressure boss, you know, desperately trying to get things. You've changed quarterback. It just didn't happen. Can I can I give a suggestion for the performance of the week that I perhaps wasn't expecting? Okay. Ryan Tannehill, yeah. six and one as a starter. I mean that that's quite incredible. They were two and four when he took over. They're eight and five. The Titans, who are like a reverse of the Chiefs, who have again you can't tell what they're going to do. I still think the Raiders are having a good season at six and seven. I think they've exceeded expectations. But man, those Titans are are back to looking. Um, like a team that could do something and of course you do know they're just going to get stomped on next week yeah probably um, i don't know who they're playing it just that's the way it goes yes they are playing the texans and um, we will be talking about that one um before the show is over so uh, hold your thoughts on that one for now but no you're absolutely right i thought ryan Tannehill and the titans looked very impressive Tannehill, uh 21 for 27 attempts Attempts, uh, 391 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Passer rating of 140.4. The only person to better that, <laughs> to be fair to him, Philip Rivers. 16 for 22, 314 yards, three touchdowns, one sack. Passer rating of 154.4. You know, it, there was a lot of impressive quarterback performances. And then there was some absolute humdinkers as well. Kyle Allen didn't have a particularly good game. Uh, Deshaun Watson really struggled against the Broncos. Got some points if you play him in fantasy. Managed to do you okay, but pretty much it was down to junk time plays. Um, it was a it was a funny week as well. The Browns, let's give the Browns a little bit of credit. First and foremost, absolutely brilliant to see uh, Colin Gillen leading the flyover ahead of the game. That's Jamie Gillen's dad. What a brilliant afternoon for the Gillen family. A real honour for them to see their son on the park and an honour for their son to see his dad in the skies. Absolutely tremendous. The Browns made hard work of it. But that's the first time since 2001 and 2002 that they finished with six wins or more in consecutive seasons. So given how bad they are, that's not to be sniffed at. But at the same time, they made hard work of that. Oh, absolutely. But I'll tell you what, see, if I was a Browns fan, that was the game I wanted to be at. No questions asked. Yeah, no, absolutely. You um, want to know why? Why? Because I would hate to watch on telly. <laughs> So here we go, uh, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. This is nothing to do with gender. It's all to do with likability and voice. And I'll tell you what, I don't think there's a worse pairing uh, than Beth Moens and Tiki Barber. They are CBS's number eight crew, uh, and they shouldn't be that high up. Um, just Worse than Booger. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would I would think I mean Tiki Barber just is dreadful. Um, I I just don't I don't get what he brings to the party at all. And Beth Moens I I've told you before, and and I can t I can name male announcers as well. I don't care whether they're male or female. If I don't like your voice, I find it very hard to listen to, and I find her exceptionally hard to listen to. Um, I don't. You know, I don't think he's a particularly good announcer. That's a personal opinion. Um, you know, there are some good female announcers. I don't want to go down this whole sexist route. If you actually looked it up on Twitter, what I cannot stand is blokes arguing against a woman calling an NFL game simply because she's a woman. 
Yeah. That's got nothing to do with anything. Um, and some of the stuff you read, you just got to think, man, if you're going to have an opinion on something, actually form your opinion. Um, I mean, it's just dumb. Yeah. But, you know, that, that, but saying me. all that, I, she still <laughs> she still does your head in. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. I, I just you know there are some commentary teams that do that. I wasn't a big fan of Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis doing the the Saints Forty ers game. I I just did not enjoy that. I thought they were too quick to cede to the referee's expert Dean Blandino without actually asking him searching questions. Yeah. You know. What about that hold? What about this? I just think if you're going to use the referee expert, actually give the boy a bit of a grilling. You know, just, you know, try and be a little bit more in-depth. Now, they might not have time to do that. I know he's covering a lot of games. But for me, that's, you know, that's what I would like to see. So they didn't particularly throw me at the weekend either. Right, let's turn to our weekly awards then now. We've obviously given our thoughts on some of the headlines, but let's see what you guys think as well. Um, a few people getting in touch, obviously not as much time as normal to share the thoughts um, with this being a short week, but Alan Morton, he got in touch to say ball bag for him as a Raiders fan. Derek Carr for throwing the ball out of bounds on fourth down when they were 21 points behind. Does feel a little bit of a point uh, pointless play. Ian, his belter is the 49ers against the Saints. What a game and what a win. Refs weren't the issue for the Saints for once. I think that's a slight dick at you. Uh, <laughs> Bowfin Award for him goes to the NFC East. There ain't nobody wants to win that. And ball bag for him is Dante Jackson cornerback for the Panthers. Blaming the Panthers play calling for him giving up two touchdowns. Matt Inkster... Um, who is a Patriots fan, uh, does a Patriots podcast, so have a look for that. Belter, Game of the Week, 49ers and Saints. Yeah, so he's not all bad for a Pats fan. Bowfin, refs in the Patriots-Chiefs game, and Bobag, Jerome Boger, which sounds like Booger, <laughs> but Boger, uh, for being head official in the Patriots-Chiefs game. So Boger's ruined Sunday night, and Booger's going to ruin Monday night. There's a spoiler for you tonight. Uh, Mabinex, also a Pats fan. Belter, the 49ers-Saints game as a whole, outstanding. Bowfin, the refs in the Patriots-Chiefs game. <laughs> Can we yep. spot a theme? Bobag, refs again, Four terrible calls, one bad spot, one early whistle, one blown touchdown call, and a missed DPI. Scandalous. The DPI one was really bad as well. Um, Lauren Callahan, his belter, is Saints for putting up such a high score in a losing effort against the 49ers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a unique take on that one. Bowfin, Cowboys, hurry up and bring in Urban Meyer. Um, I think it's a matter of time now before we see Urban in at AT&T. Um, and then Polly, he gets in touch. Uh, Belter, Chiefs for getting the win at Gillette Stadium. Bobag is Dante Jackson calling his coaches out after the game. Keep that stuff in the locker room. And Bowfin, Playoff seedings. I'm all for division winners getting a playoff spot, but if your record is Bowfin, you shouldn't get a home game. Yeah, that, that's something we, we could actually discuss at some point, is is the playoff seedings. You know, if you're in a in a bad division, um, you know, and you win it, you know, like the Patriots do, because you had three bad teams and you get an artificially high record, should you get, you know, a seed like that? Whereas Dallas, or you could be in a really good division where everybody's beating each other and you win it in eight and eight. Do you deserve a home? So yeah, there's a whole there's a whole uh, argument to be made around that. Yeah, absolutely. So Paul, what are your winners this week? 
<laughs> um, I'm going to give it to the Denver Broncos. Okay, I think that's fair. Uh, because I think that's just a hell of an impressive performance. The first time they'd scored over 25 points this season. And I think about 21 of those Texans points were basically much in garbage time. So uh, the Broncos get that for me. Uh, Bob Ag, yeah, it's hard to see past Dante Jackson. It's also hard to see past Baker Mayfield for calling out the training staff on Odell Beckham Jr. You know, he basically came out and said, well, I'm not sure Odell's been treated properly. Well, basically, you're then throwing your, your staff under the bus. He then came out and clarified that's not what he meant, but that's what he said. So I think it's there. And Bowfin. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mowins and Barber. That was horrible. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, performance of the week. Do you know what? Austin Eckler deserves a little bit of credit for his 101 uh, rushing yards. And he managed to do, what was it, 112 through the air as well in a touchdown, including yes. an absolute bomb against Jacksonville, which was quite impressive. I think Emmanuel Sanders had a particularly good game, 157 yards off of four receptions, a touchdown, but also threw a touchdown himself. I thought that was particularly impressive. Um, I thought Joe Mixon had a great day, 146 yards and a touchdown after what was a difficult start for him um, in a losing performance. He did very, very well. But actually, do you know what? I'm I'm going to give it to Ryan Tannehill because although it was against the Raiders, I think Tannehill's a player that, you know, when he went to the Tennessee Titans, you never thought he would ever, um, uh, you know, dislodge Mariota for the number one position. Mariota wasn't necessarily the answer, but really you didn't think Ryan Tannehill would go in and do anything. But they've managed to get him into being a really good quarterback. And, you know, year one under the Dolphins, it kind of showed that he had that about him. And then he got Adam Gaste, and they went downhill. <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 it's a remarkable improvement. Uh, and he's basically a major factor in why the Tennessee Titans are now a contender very much for that thrilling AFC South division, which is really a three-way tie. So we'll come on to that. So he gets my performance of the week. Um, ball bag performance. Yeah, do you know what? It's uh, it's hard to disagree with what's already been said. Uh, the Panthers were terrible. Um, they they were really limp against the Falcons. I don't know what's happened to them. Um, that's they've just gone so far off the rails. Even Christian McCaffrey didn't have much of a game. Still managed to do pretty well by normal person standards, but by his own high standards, it wasn't anything like what he normally achieves. Uh, but yeah, Dante Jackson, that kind of stuff. You just you got to keep that in the locker room, and then. Bowfin, ah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. This one as well. I think, I think I'm going to have to give it to the officials in that Patriots Chiefs game because the calls were just so bad. They were just so bad, and they could have. Been, there's no need for them to be that bad because you just let it play out. I'm not advocating a, a Patriots win. I would never do such a thing. But you know, it just is really, really poor. Um, I was a little bit disappointed by the Ravens-Bills game as well. It really didn't live up to what I thought it might have been. Perhaps a case of the defences being able to nullify the quarterbacks more than we anticipated. But that game didn't really live up to the hype for me. Uh, but no, the Patriot, uh, the Patriot officials, they got to get that one for sure. Yeah, can we just give a wee mention to Omalide Zacchaeus, uh -huh. the Falcons receiver, that 93-yard touchdown, the longest in league history on a player's first career catch. I think that's worth 
yep. worth a little note. Special mentions to Jason Sanders. It was the Miami Dolphins that set the franchise record with 21 points. You know, seven out of eight field goals made. Uh, pretty good performance. Scored all 21 points. Young Hoku as well, the Atlanta Falcons kicker, who managed to get the fumble recovery on the punt return. I can't remember the last time I saw a kicker uh, recover a fumble. Uh, it's certainly unique, if not. See, the, the Scottish Hammer would have recovered the fumble and then thumped everybody <laughs> on his way to the end zone. I thought Will Lutz as well, you know, he was banging them in from pretty much the halfway line, um, as he tends to do in New Orleans. There were some really good kicking performances. It wasn't a week where you were slating them, that's for sure. So, um, But anyway, that pretty much sums everything up for week 14. Other than, Paul, we need to discuss the uh, results for the pick them that we do amongst ourselves so i'm just bringing up the little graphic that i pulled together now disappointing week for you paul uh, you almost did a patterson you almost got all six wrong but the ravens managed to get you that single point um and what was not one of your better weeks and it means that jamie extends his lead up front there's now three of us tied in last with 43 you and gordon are tied on 46 in equal second and Jamie's got a five-point lead with 51 points. Yeah, I swung for the fences this week uh, because you know, we're running out of week. So I thought I would swing for the fences and try and catch Jamie. I thought the Panthers, having dumped their boss, would bounce back. They obviously didn't. The Colts bottled it against the Bucks. If those two had gone my way, which I fully expected, it would have been 48 points to 49, and I would have been right back in it. Uh, plus if the Chargers hadn't bottled it as well. So, yeah, you know, and just decided to come and play because they wanted to win. Bottle it. The opposite of bottling it. Exactly. They went for it. How dare they? Right, okay. That brings us on then to week 15. Have I got my numbers right there? Yes, this is week 15 coming up, isn't it? This is the point where you start to get lost in the whole thing. Um, So, do you know what? There's not necessarily a lot of games that stand out uh, for thrilling, I would say. So I've tried to pick the games that are close because that's what the contest is all about. There's no point in me picking games where it's clearly one team that's likely to win. So we're going to kick off this one with the Bucks at the Lions. Oh, yuck. Indeed. Um, You're going to be saying that a lot. Um, again, you just want to, you know, if Matthew Stafford comes back, you've got to go with the Lions. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, so I'm not quite sure what what his status is at the moment. So I'm going to go with the Lions with a little asterisk that I'll tell you later in the week that I might change my mind. <laughs> there's no change in minds. So that I've was... got to... Jamie gets the advantage of knowing what I've said. So <laughs> so that was the Lions, though, yes? Yeah, I, th- I think, though, I mean, the Lions aren't as bad as they suggest, but they've got quarterback problems. Stafford comes back, I think they win that. So I think that the Bucks are going to win this one. I think that Jameis Winston can do enough damage through the air that they can outscore the Lions even by giving the ball away three times during the game, which is a pretty much a given, let's be honest. But no, I think, I think the Bucks have got enough. It does. If Stafford comes back, it, it does change it. So I agree, but I'm, I'm no backsies. No backsies, my money's on the bucks. Right, uh, well, I've, I've got here. a backsie just in case. So. <laughs> right, uh, next game, Jacksonville Jaguars at the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders. The Raiders. I, I think it's getting to that point where the black hole's not going to be around for much longer, and I'm sure they're going to want to go out in a high and certainly try and bounce back after that game. 
at the weekend. They have won more games. I mean, they are the better team, you would think. Uh, the Jags, coaching change coming. We'll see where that takes them. Yeah, it's got to come, doesn't it? Um, so the, for me, I agree. I think it has to be the Raiders, even without Josh Jacobs. If he doesn't make it to next weekend, I think that the Jags are in. They've got problems all over the place. There's just no leadership there. It, it is a shambles, an absolute shambles there. Um, and they need a change. They need it desperately. So, yes. Right. OK, the Cleveland Browns at the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, the cards are. Oh, the cards again, you just never quite sure what you were going to get. I thought the Steelers handled them pretty easily. The Browns have the talent right across the field to win that game. So got to go with the Browns. So this is an interesting one. And I actually think this is a tough one to call because the Browns do have the talent, but I'm not convinced they know how to use it. I don't think Kitchens has got the right he's just not the right man for that job I just don't see anything out of it to be perfectly honest mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to I'm going to go out and say I'm going to say the Cardinals on this one because it's in the desert and actually they, they kind of ran the Steelers close in the end the Cardinals um, I think that there's there's definitely issues there but I think if the, the Browns continue to throw the ball rather than run it which they did in the first half against the, the Bengals I think the Cardinals can beat them, especially in the desert. So, so yeah, I'm going Cardinals on that one. Rams at Cowboys. Uh, how bad are the Cowboys? I mean, jeez. Uh, and, of course, that, that's a 9.25 game. That, that one is likely to get national TV coverage yeah. as well from the looks of things. I just don't trust the Rams. Cowboys at home, I don't particularly trust them either. Yeah. Oh. Uh, feel I need to shower before I call this one. Uh, <laughs> Cowboys. Okay, well, I knew you were going to do that. So I'm going the Rams. I think they're going to get a, a really big lift over that win last night. Um, I think that that was an impressive performance against what has been a very, very good Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and the Rams have now brought themselves right back into contention. The Cowboys, though, that advantage has got to be at home. they got to make the most of that. This could either be a... a absolute it could be as much of a slobber knocker as we saw between the saints and the the 49ers or it could be an absolute dire dirge of a nonsense game um but i'm hoping for the slobber knocker bring on the slobber knockers um i'm going with the rams to win that one um by uh, a, a two-point margin in a 50 plus point game there you go. No, nobody calls a slobber knocker better than you. <laughs> right, couple of actually decent games that are sort of semi-relevant. Uh, I've come. I'm coming back to one that's in the early kickoffs, just because it's a really good talking point. I think we'll discuss in detail. But before that, Bills at Steelers. Now this this is interesting. Um, it's a very hard game to call because the Steelers are going with quarterbacks that aren't killing them. And I think that's quite important. I think, you know, they've taken care of a couple of bad teams along the way. I think the Bills have got more talent. The one thing, Camera, I do wonder is, do they have the belief to go in to Pittsburgh and actually give it a go? If they'd been playing the Steelers a few weeks ago, I think I would have just called it for the Bills. The Bills were playing well. There was a confidence. But there was also a fragility about the Steelers. Now I'm hearing, you know, you know, could be coach of the year job for the Steelers. And you're thinking, really? Mike Tomlin, coach of the year? But eight and five, given the fact, you know, they have lost Big Ben, 
you know, over the last couple of years, they've lost their best running back, their best wide receiver. It is hellishly impressive. I also live with a Steelers fan, so it's hard not to to go for the Steelers. <laughs> so I'm 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 going to go for the the Steelers. Uh, and I'm going to take the Bills for a bounce back win. Um, as I said last week, I am absolutely on the Bills bandwagon. I thought even against the Ravens, they kept it close, uh, more through defense than offense. I think they'll have a similar challenge against that good Steelers defense. But I think that Bills defense is decent as well and can stop a not very threatening Steelers attack. I think that this is going to be really low scoring and it could come down to the kickers. Um, I think it's going to be one of those games. The fact that it's in Pittsburgh, uh, it'll be slightly warmer than Buffalo, but not much. So both these teams are used to the conditions. Uh, I think that the Bills go on the road and they get a win, um, especially as they all know the outcome of the Patriots game from earlier in the day. Um, but yes, uh, I think the Bills go on and do it. But Interestingly, we'll the, the Bills have just tweeted, uh, it's just two words, oh shit. <laughs> Rightly so as well. I've not got a good record with these things. Right. So the last game that I've picked, uh, and we touched on it really uh, much earlier on, and I think this is suddenly a thrilling game because of how close this division is. Uh, It really could go... It could go to any one of three teams, but it's most likely between these two, and it comes down to this. It is the Houston Texans at the Tennessee Titans. What a terrific game this could be. Now, just to touch on the broadcast side of it, if I'm right, the broadcasts tend to be arranged a little bit in advance, you know, two or three weeks in advance. Now, they can move things around, obviously, but that tends to be the way that they do it. So if you're the crew that's a mid-crew and you're suddenly picking this game up, you've got to be pretty happy because you might not have been expecting to get such a good game when you know when it was drawn a few weeks ago. So I think this is a really interesting one. I'm going to take the Texans simply because I think they're the better team. I think they've got the better quarterback. So I'm going to go with the Texans. But this is one camera I would not be surprised in the slightest if Tennessee won. Right. Okay. So you're going with the Texans. I, I, and do you know what? I, I totally agree with you on this one. I think it's the Texans as well. I think that they'll bounce back from that horrible defeat to the Broncos. Every time I think that the Texans aren't going to turn it around, they somehow do. Um, and I think that the Titans um, are will have a much tougher afternoon. The, the key thing here is Derrick Henry. Um, and if the Texans can find a way to stop Derrick Henry, then they've got an opportunity to, to get a win here. I, but I do think the Texans can do it. I think that, you know, big linebackers like... You know, the guys that they've got, Whitney Merciless and guys, he's, okay, he's not the biggest, but he's more than capable of taking down a player like Derek Henry. So uh, I agree with you. I think the Texans go on and do this. But this is, it's a huge game. It's absolutely huge game. Uh, you know, both teams on eight and five. Um, you know, the Texans are five and two at home, three and three away. The Titans are four and two at home, four and three away. The Titans are on a four game winning streak. And the Texans are obviously on that one-game losing streak. And, you know, they've dropped games throughout the season. But the Texans, for me, haven't really gone on a run of terrible form at any point. So this is something that they, you know, it's a big factor in this. The Titans have outscored them by a single point, and they've not conceded as many. But I think that the Texans have a better roster. They've got a better squad of players there. 
Um, I think that Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. Now, watch Tannehill now absolutely destroy out of the two of them and, and prove me wrong, as so often is the case. <laughs> but I, I think this is a thrilling game. And it's such a shame, actually, that there are decent games later in the slate because it's the sort of game that might have been pushed out uh, and flexed to, to a later kickoff because it's a it's a really interesting game. But I think that, to be fair, Rams at Cowboys is a relevant game, the, the sort of 425 kickoffs, and Bills at Steelers for Sunday Night Football is relevant because both these, you know, all those teams are vying for a place in the postseason. I don't think we see any flex on it, uh, but I think it's a really, really good game, and it's the standout tie in the 6 o'clock kickoffs. Yeah, and I, I'm disappointed that the Colts didn't win at the weekend because they would have been seven and six going into the ten and three Saints on Monday Night Football, which I think would have just given them a different edge. You know, if you've got that chance to go a couple of games over five hundred, as it is, I think they'll be chum in the water for for the Saints because the Saints will want to make sure they bounce back, and the Saints rarely uh, lose two in a row. At home, so we'll see. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting slate of games. I, I, you know, it does get to that time of year where you are going to get, you know, two bad teams playing against each other. I don't think, you know, I mean, even the Eagles, Redskins, the Eagles at five and seven still have a lot to play for. They obviously will play um, tonight before we record this. The Dolphins and the Giants, you know, they've won five between them and lost twenty. I don't think that'll be a sellout at MetLife somehow. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, a couple of things to discuss. One thing that I'm going to do, and we should have done this at the awards, but we I, I kind of forgot about it. It's just come to mind. I'm going to bring back an award from last season that we haven't given this season. Most Scottish-like performance, which I'm going to give to the kit men or women <laughs> and people for the Kansas City Chiefs because nothing says Scottish lower league football more than... Be- turning up at the wrong place at the wrong time uh, and having a panic and having to get your kit driven five hours up the road because you've sent it to New Jersey rather than send it up to Foxborough. Um, And there was chat, you know, in the run-up saying, if they don't get the kit there in time, they're going to have to forfeit the game. Now, isn't it just as well they didn't? And actually, it didn't seem to have an impact on them because they they did pretty well. Um, Even Mahomes looked a bit battered and bruised and it didn't have an impact on him. But most Scottish-like performance to me absolutely has to go to those kit men. Well, can I add to that? Because I'm going to have a little bit of a rant here. I was watching that game on my my Google pad, which is a 10-inch screen, and I just kept seeing flashes of yellow after plays. And I'm thinking, what's the flag for? Why were so many of the Chiefs players wearing yellow gloves? Yeah. That, that's horrendous. I just kept thinking there was there was flags being thrown. You just, you know, at the corner of your eye, you just catch the little movement of yellow. It'd be interesting if anybody else found this, but I found it really annoying that there was yellow gloves in use. And I would actually like the NFL to outlaw yellow gloves because I genuinely thought there were flags coming in. I found that really annoying. I'm not sure if anybody else did. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And I think this is a colourblindness thing as well. But even then, any sort of flash of yellow, it's the same as the um, ESPN graphic at the start of the season having a yellow flash along the bottom. And you kept thinking, oh, there's a flag on the plate. Oh, no, there isn't. It's just a really crap, poorly thought out graphic. Um, yes. As opposed to just a crap, poorly thought out commentary team. Um, but, yeah, these things are annoying. And, yeah, you've got to think about it. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's, let's just say that the, the, the gloves were lost. They, they, they went out a window somewhere uh, just south of Foxborough. 
Um, and they had to make do with some yellow ones. Let's well, give them I, the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I know if they checked in Bill Belichick's desk in the bottom drawer, that's where the gloves would have been. Yeah. Now, we've actually had... Do you know what? I don't normally do this, but we've had a tweet just coming just now, late to the party. But he's tweeted us, so let's call it out. Ross Black has given his award nominees. His belter, Saints 49ers game was tremendous. Mitch Trubisky on Thursday night also gets a mention. We haven't touched on that. Actually, Trubisky looked really good. Um, Baufin for him was Miami so many red zone attempts scoring only field goals which we touched on earlier but Bobag for him was like you said Baker Mayfield way to throw your team under the you know your team's medical department under the bus trying to walk it back is just weak and sure enough Freddie Kitchens you know there's an article as we get into the news section of the podcast Baker knows not to discuss OBJ's injury it clearly is an injury it's clearly not a talking point things are not all rosy with that whole trade and everything that's going out with it, um, Odell Beckham was asked about it in the locker room afterwards, and he said that he wasn't going to discuss off-season things. Immediately, he didn't shut it down. He just said he wasn't going to discuss it. Uh, you got to wonder whether he's still going to be in Cleveland next season. Well, well, let's actually, just, just before we hit the news, because we touched on it last week and Ron Rivera then got sacked, we said we'd talk a little bit about potential moves, and there's always so many coaching moves. Does Freddie Kitchens hang around for another season? Uh, do you know what? It'll be interesting to see if he does or not. Uh, the fact that he's managed to get six wins um, means that, you know, he hasn't regressed the team any. Um, but, yeah, it's not exactly been brilliant. It's not exactly been brilliant. It doesn't feel like there's anybody in control there. And I think that with so many egos and so many personalities, it needs somebody of experience to really corral them. I think he probably gets a second season with the benefit of the doubt saying, go and, you know, saying that you've had your year, learn from it, go and do it better now. And I wonder whether Dorsey and co give him that extra season to make sure that he can learn from that. Okay, I'll I'll go the other way. I don't think you can afford to do so. I think it's been a mess. I would have, as we've said, people can go back and listen. I would have left Greg Williams in charge for another year. He'd been the interim head coach. He got them playing. He got them winning. You would have still had Kitchens in the building. I think Greg Williams should have started this season. And I think it would be a much, much different season. I think with somebody like Ron Rivera, who's got, you know, good defensive background, but he's got very, very solid ways of dealing with players. I think having somebody like him on the market, they may be tempted, you know, to talk off the books. And if they can land somebody with a little bit of experience, I don't think, for example, I don't think they would go for Jason Garrett, who's likely um, to be out at Dallas. But somebody like Ron Rivera, who's been twice coach of the year, having him kicking around, I think could be enough to do for Freddie Kitchens because the Browns are primed to win. And somebody like Ron Rivera could be the very guy to come and do it. Yep. There's a few names on this list as well of potential people going out the way. So someone like Ron Rivera isn't going to be out of a job next season, I don't think. Pat Shermer at the Giants has got to be one person who's already been looked at. Uh, Jason Garrett, another who we think is definitely going to go out there, especially if you you know, read more and more into Jerry's chat and Jerry's getting more and more frustrated and angry and getting <laughs> censored yeah. as the weeks go on. And I've been saying Doug Marone for an absolute age. Um, Doug Marone, for me, needs to go. He's another one that I think has struggled with the egos in his camp. Um, that's the egos, not the eagles. Uh, I realised I said that quite quickly. Um, although he struggled with the former eagles quarterback as um, Nick Foles has come in and out. 
Um, so, you know, it just, even even going back to Foles as soon as he was fit, after Gardner Minshew had done so well, and then the first chance Foles is going back the way, and Minshew again, and then Foles, anyway, it's a mess, and I feel like he's not in control there at all. Other than that, yeah. is there anyone else that you think is potentially on the hot seat? I, I'm not convinced about Arizona. Okay. I'm not convinced that they're not going to pull the trigger again. I think it comes to the point where it depends on who's available. I don't see them trading for another first-year new guy, but if there's somebody a bit more experienced becomes available. And that's why I'm, I'm with you. I think Ron Rivera, now, yes, his time was up You know, in Carolina, I think. David Tepper was has done the right thing and moved him on. I think Dan Quinn in Atlanta might just get away with it, but that's going to be a very tough division depending on who Carolina appoint. And Bruce Arians is a, is a great appointment for for Tampa Bay. So it just depends on who's available. That that's the key. I mean, you could argue the Bears have underperformed. You could argue the Lions have only got three wins. So Matt Patricia may be on the chopping block from there. But I think they're probably people who will get another season. I'm just not necessarily convinced elsewhere. I think that you know the Chargers will allow Lynn one one down season. The Jets have gambled. They've got to stay where they are. I think Miami are the same. They've got to stay where they are. The Bengals. That that's a difficult one. A year one coach again. He'll probably get a second year, unless that's the place Ron Rivera wants to go. I think all the guys that are on year one, if the management wants somebody like Ron Rivera, and I say twice coach of the year winner has been to a Super Bowl, somebody of that talent's available. You may pull the trigger on him. So the Bengals are clearly going to get the number one pick as well. So I wonder whether they give their new head coach the opportunity to take that. And at the moment. And this ties us on to the college postseason a little bit. But Joe Burrows um, has been absolutely tremendous. And what a game against Georgia that they had. Destroyed them. Oh, it was absolutely, absolutely brilliant to see. Now, we were lucky enough to see him last year. But he really wasn't in the conversations for the Heisman this year. And I don't think anyone expected him to be. Um, Obviously, traded to LSU from Ohio State. From Ohio from not far away from Cincinnati, is Cincinnati where he ends up next season. This is the early, early number one chat pick for, uh, for us. You know, the, 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 there's loads of podcasts that have been talking about this mock draft since about two years ago. But for us, we've not really delved into this. But right now, it feels like Joe Burrows to the Bengals feels like a stick on. I think if you are convinced he is a generational talent, if you're convinced that you can get something for Andy Dalton, you know, can can you get a second round, a late second round somewhere, a third round pick for him, then you gamble. The problem with the Bengals is they've got so many problems in different areas. You could trade that first pick away because you're, you're just going to stick uh, with a redhead for a year or two and you could possibly get yourself you know two late first rounders who you're almost going to plug and play in so I don't I don't think it's automatic I think he's currently the number one quarterback pick coming out but it's it's, it's the old story if you've got a serviceable quarterback the opportunity to you know to get two or three players at different positions because what I would counsel you against and this is one of the stats that, that I've looked out for this week in terms of undrafted quarterbacks this season against quarterbacks who've been drafted in the first round they're 4-0 and 
the undrafted <laughs> quarterbacks. Now, how about that? So Hodges from the Steelers vanquished Kyler Murray's Cardinals, undrafted passers 4-0 2019 against counterparts drafted first overall. It can sometimes just be who your line is, how good your line is, and then you can step that little bit forward. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, any other news items taking your fancy then? No, I mean, I, I see the, the Cowboys have cut their kicker and signed Kai Forbath, which probably is not a great surprise. You know, we, we do see kickers moving about at this time. But I just think at the moment, everybody's sort of focused on the fallouts of, you know, what things mean for their own individual teams. And I think, you know, started to talk about, you know, coaching changes and things. I think that's where the news tends to be at the moment. But you start to look for the little fractures from clubs. And I think we're seeing it already in Cleveland. You know, we, we saw it with Dante uh, Jackson. So I think the thing to look out for is just the little stories that start to leak out of teams. I think the one that worries me a little bit is uh, looking at NFL.com. Richard Sherman has apparently suffered a grade two hamstring strain, which means that he misses out a couple of weeks in the run-in, where we're head-to-head with the Seahawks for the the division and fighting for home field advantage through the playoffs, then that's a that's a big loss in the secondary. And as you said, it didn't look all that clever at times against the Saints. So a little bit worried uh, that Richard Sherman is potentially out for a couple of games. He's a big loss. He would be a big loss, so uh, hopefully it's not too bad. I mean, obviously it could have been a lot worse. It'd be good to see him getting back. Adam Vinatieri is to undergo season-ending knee surgery. Here's the question. Is it season-ending or is it the end of his career? Well, he's walking into the Hall of Fame. I'm trying to remember what he did. At the moment. Yeah, with, with a limp. I'm trying to remember <laughs> what he did in his last game. Sometimes you want to go out on a high, and I think he did okay in his previous game. If I'm trying to remember the coach one. If you go out on a win, I think that's a little bit different. So, yeah, I, th- I think we may have seen the last of him. Come next August, September, he will be 47 years old. Um, so that it would be very impressive if he manages to make it. Um, it will be very, very interesting indeed. But if he does go out, then what an absolutely tremendous career he's had. He started in 1995. Just just let that sink in for a minute. Oh, my goodness me. Um, and, you know, his field goal average, I think, is it's, it's above 80%. You know, anyway, um, an absolutely brilliant player uh, who will go into the Hall of Fame, as you say. Anything yeah. else taking your fancy then before we wrap up? No, I just think it's been a very interesting week. I think the season's boiling quite nicely. And I think, you know, we've got some good divisional races. We've got some bad teams. We've got some teams that are dangerous, like Denver, that you don't really want to face. Uh, the Titans have come back. I think I think there's a great deal of interest in the season. Indeed there is. And I look forward to week 15. But that concludes everything then for episode 78. Keep your feedback coming and make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Scotland NFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Scotland NFL. Please keep sharing the podcast, give us a review on iTunes, get in touch with any thoughts, comments or subjects you'd like to see us cover. few people have already been in touch with a couple of subjects which we will be covering over the coming weeks, so do keep them coming. Remember as well to get yourself along to the Golf Tavern in Edinburgh or Committee Room Number 9 in Glasgow to watch the games this Sunday. Both excellent places to watch football, so yep, highly recommended. Remember too to make your selections in our McBookie's Pick'em competition. Continue to vote for the Scottish Hammer to go to the Pro Bowl and enjoy Week 15. We'll be back next week to pick apart all the highlights, but until then, bye for now. <laughs>